Merry Christmas. We are so glad you're here. It's good to see your faces. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the first couple of rows over here, but uh, there's maybe a fear that they're in the splash zone right over there. I get it. Uh, But we are so glad you're here. We hope that uh, this year you've experienced Jesus maybe in a fresh way, in a way that you've seen uh, Jesus move in your life and got the opportunity to worship him and celebrate him in a unique way this year. That, that is our hope, and that's really been our hope with this whole series on majesty. We started it really uh, in, at the end of June, 1st of July, and we started talking about this issue of majesty. And what do we want to communicate? What are we trying to communicate during Christmas, uh, this Christmas season? And as we began to talk about it, immediately the answer was really clear. We're going to talk about Jesus. Uh, We love him. (laughs) He is the object of our affection. He is the source of our salvation. And we're we're not just going to talk about him, we're going to proclaim him. And so with that in mind, we started this series talking about Jesus as God, the divine. Then we looked at him as the Savior, A couple of days ago, we talked about him as the king, the God who came in the flesh. Today, we're going to look at him as our model. And uh, next week, we're going to look at him as our victor. So that's that's where we're going in this uh, series. But the intention is to experience Jesus in a fresh way. Or maybe in a way that we have, but it's just been a while. In the midst of darkness, we hope that you sense God's light. In the midst of a time that is discouraging, we hope your heart is encouraged by Christ himself. With that in mind, would you join me as we pray? Lord, we do love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. And, and we, we just want to celebrate you, Lord. We're so thankful for how you move in our midst, how you speak to us and sometimes through us and sometimes in spite of us. Lord, we're amazed at your goodness. We're thankful, O Lord, for uh, what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do. And we come with an anticipation, looking forward uh, to this next step of faith. Whatever that is for us, Lord, we ask that you would move in this place, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, And that you would be glorified and honored. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 primarily. And as you're turning there, I want to identify something about this particular book. That Paul is the author. That Paul is in jail when he's authoring this. And one of the things that if you were to read through Philippians, you would see just this incredible engagement with a church that is, is being encouraging to the saints around the world. And this response is consistent to who this church in Philippi is. Uh, in fact, several decades later, there's going to be a guy, he's a bishop, his name is Polycarp. And Polycarp ends up writing a letter and says very similar things to this church because of the testimony and the faith that they exhibit and live out uh, in the world. I share that with you to say that uh, there, there is um, Paul who is in jail. 
And while he's in jail, when he looks for encouragement, he thinks of the people who are following Jesus around the world, and specifically this church in Philippi. I I wanted to start with uh, identifying this one passage before we jump into chapter 2. It's found in chapter 1, verse 27, and, and it really sets the stage for what we're about to read. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to stop there. Paul focuses on that and he calls the church to that. It's the same message that we get today by extension and the grace of God. It is still the call that we have to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to do that, I'm going to suggest, is going to have to be very purposeful. Uh, We're going to have to choose that life. In fact, uh, we're going to have to purposefully enter and engage in that life. It's not a passive uh, faith that we've been given. And so uh, with that in mind, I want to introduce a concept. Uh, The concept is laced throughout this book of Philippians. The concept is a Greek term, koinonia. You may be familiar with it. It's often translated as fellowship. When we say fellowship in the West, often we just mean being in each other's presence. Uh, We were together in one place. We had fellowship. We engaged in a conversation. We had fellowship. That is not really the way that the word was used in the first century. It, It was used to mean that I have an investment in this. Uh, It's used in one place in that the church raised money for the the, uh, believers in Jerusalem because they were going through a particularly hard time. And they said that they had koinonia, they had fellowship together. There was an investment in this relationship. Paul is going to use this term several times. And in one of those places, in in, uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he says it this way. I'm going to have fellowship in the suffering of Jesus. It's laced throughout the book, and for a guy who's in jail, he knows a little bit about suffering. And the call that he has, actually, I would say it this way, the embrace of suffering that he has. Not that he's some sort of sadomasochist that he's looking for uh, suffering, but rather, as he walks through suffering, he does something that we may want to learn, and that's to offer it to God. He sees that following Jesus is going to lead to suffering. And that's a place of fellowship, participation. And that place of participation is an offering to the Father. We see this in the walk of the believers early on. In fact, I I mentioned one of those believers already. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was burned at the stake because in his 80s, he wouldn't say that that uh, Caesar is Lord, he stood strong saying that Christ is Lord. And when called to renounce his faith, he wouldn't do it, and it cost him his life. And I'll say it this way, he offered that as a sacrifice. Another uh, early bishop is a guy by the name of Ignatius, also 
was a disciple of, of John. Ignatius uh, is willing to give his life up for the exact same reason. He won't renounce his faith. And in a time where he reaches out to the churches, Ignatius says this, don't come to my rescue. Allow me to suffer, to participate, to be in fellowship with Christ by giving my life to the Lord. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that suffering is internal and it's external. Uh, That's how it's used, at least in the first century, internally and externally. And what I want to suggest today before we jump into this passage is that there is opportunity to participate in fellowship. And to participate may mean to suffer. And as we suffer, there is a place to take that. Oftentimes in the West, we, we want to pray for safety and security. And, and that's not bad, except for when it gets in the way of our faith. When we're choosing safety and security over following Jesus or offering our life as a sacrifice to God, it's a problem. And we see that throughout the scriptures and in the lives of the saints that followed. This idea of fellowship, of koinonia, is a, and the idea of participation and an investment into something. And that investment is found in Christ himself, as we'll see in just a few moments. Now, let me kind of cover some broader topics before we jump into the passage, and that's this, what suffering might look like. In the West, we want to ask questions like, why? Why would I suffer? That doesn't seem great. If all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, like your word says, Lord, then why should I have to suffer? And the answer is, we don't know. Like, I because there's sin. Any answer to that, though, feels callous. That's the reality. It feels callous. But the reality is, it's an opportunity for us to engage Christ in a way that we wouldn't normally. And it can be a beautiful thing. And it may be in a situation, it could be health-related. As we walk through troubles through our health, maybe that's, maybe that's cancer. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's just a flu. But to offer those moments as an opportunity for God to have his work is a beautiful thing. And what the church has been called to, to fellowship even then. Not to reject God because we're going through a tough time, but to embrace him. This idea of suffering is also internal. And it can happen because maybe we've been wounded. Maybe we've been wounded in relationships. Or maybe we've been hurt physically or emotionally or spiritually, and it's an opportunity to offer it to the Lord. That God wants to meet us uniquely in those places. That our fellowship is a deep investment, and it matters. And Paul is identifying that as one who is suffering in a jail, perhaps even in Rome. And as he's suffering in this jail, he's saying, But my joy is complete in Christ because of you. And we'll see that as we walk through this passage together. We're in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And this is what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, 
That's that word koinonia right there, participation. Uh, it can also be translated as fellowship. It's an investment in whatever it's referring to. In this case, the spirit. It's an investment in the spirit. Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Bring it to fruition by being of the same mind. Uh, if you're using your Bibles right now, if you have it in front of you, I'd encourage you to underline that word mind. It's actually in a verb form there, and uh, it's connected to the noun form, which is phronema. Phronema, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is a word that means worldview. It's translated as mind, but maybe a contemporary word for it would be worldview. And, and so in this particular passage, uh, let me find it here. Did I just fast, did I just forward it? Thank you so much for your encouragement and participation. <laughs> Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. So, so again, there is a mindset, there is a worldview that looks a little bit different, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more. Having the same love. Uh, and the, the idea behind this word love is non-transactional. So, in other words, I'm not loving you because you're loving me. Uh, it's not based on that. Uh, my love comes from somewhere else, and I can't not love is the idea behind this word. Uh, I give it because that's, it, I can't not give it. Being in full accord or in harmony, that's what that, that phrase means, in harmony, and he connects it again with, your, with that phronema, that worldview, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you see that word mind keeps coming up? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did, did you catch that? That God is in the flesh, and look at how God's, uh, God's actions, what God's actions are, that he would be willing to go to the cross to, to die on the cross. Like God in the flesh? Like, this is mind-blowing. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our model. Uh, he is the example. Uh, we enter into Christ and his work. And so let's take a moment and let's highlight things kind of at a high view of who Jesus or how Jesus models things. The, the first thing that we see is that he takes the form of a servant. Consider that. God in the flesh. And what does he do? He comes to serve. It's an amazing, uh, an amazing reality that our God would be willing to serve. I mean, when we look at antiquity and we look at the different uh, types of gods that, that were worshipped uh, in the ancient world, what we see is not a servant type of God. Uh, but one that is higher and exalted. 
One that exists on hills that are hard to climb, that are hard to get to. One that requires amazing sacrifices. But this God comes and dwells among us. This God offers uh, himself to us, is willing to serve. Just before the cross, we see this uh, wonderful example of that. Jesus has his disciples, and he washes their feet, reminding them that there is this, this world will soil you. It will get you dirty, but allow me to cleanse you. And that's the work of Christ in cleansing his disciples and the response that, that, that we have as his disciples looking at Jesus as a servant. This, this time of year, especially when we consider his majesty, we also consider the manger, and we see this amazing juxtaposition. And we see it again when we consider Jesus as our model. Not just that, but the broader principle of this, Jesus gave his life and death for others. Consider that. So it's not just a, a, a passive thing that occurs, Jesus one day dies on the cross, but rather every day is a purposeful day, is filled purposefully with serving others and caring for others in a walk that takes him knowingly to the cross. And then he gives his life for me and for you because of my sin and because of your sin. Jesus is willing to do that. Let us not miss the model. Because this, like, this is what we're called to, to follow Jesus as the model. So let's consider that. Paul says, uh, uh, if there's any encouragement in you, any comfort. The word encourage means to give courage. How many of you know that in these days we need courage? Like this is a dark world and is dynamically opposed to our faith, perhaps in ways that many of us haven't seen. Uh, How many of you know that it doesn't take long before your faith to be challenged just day by day in our own world? Whether that's driving around or whether that's looking on social media or watching the news or a movie, like it is becoming very, very, very clear that the, the, the biblical standard and the world uh, values, they don't go together anymore. They, they don't jive like they used to. They don't connect. And we live in a time where we, we need to do something about that. So before we jump into uh, how do we give courage, it's important for us to distinguish something. Because where we're about to go in this conversation is this. It would be very easy to go, oh, well, if I just do these things, then that's great. So I've said this before, I'll say it again, I will say it in the future, no doubt. This is not behavior modification. It can't be behavior modification. Behavior modification is a response like this. I don't want the consequences of being found out, therefore, I won't do that. That's behavior modification. Or, I like the rewards of doing those things, therefore, I I will do those things. It's behavior modification. Or, there's spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation looks dynamically different. It it comes with a conviction. When we do the wrong thing, by the way, that's a biblical word that we call sin. When we do the wrong thing, when we sin, there's a conviction within us. Jesus died for this sin. And I'm I'm breaking the Lord's heart. And I don't want to do that. That that is, I love Jesus. Jesus. 
there's a dynamic difference in those approaches. Again, when we start looking at these lists, it would be really easy to go, oh, well, I'll just modify my behavior. I'll just do those things or not do those things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual transformation that occurs because God's Spirit dwells in us. And because God's Spirit dwells in us, we don't want to hurt Him. We love Jesus. We don't want to wound Him. We're thankful for the sacrifice that He gave. And motivated by that, there's repentance. So let's take a look at this. Give courage. Uh, Paul is telling the church this. Give courage. You are encouraging Continue to give courage. Continue to give comfort. How do you do it? Well, he says it this way. He identifies a few things. The first one is this, that we would have the same mind. Again, that's that idea of a worldview. It's connected to and associated with Jesus. So here's what we're asking. Is my worldview the same as Jesus? Do I see the world the same way that Jesus sees the world? Do I live out that worldview the way that Jesus lived it out? You and I are not going to die on the cross for everyone's sins. We are not God. That is not our role. However, we do follow the God who did that. And so do we see the world the way that Jesus sees the world? And do we live it out day by day, moment by moment, the way that Jesus calls us to or not? If we're going to encourage one another, then we have to come to this place where we have the same mind. Because here's the reality. We are collectively, if we just went around the room and started making categories, we would recognize pretty quickly that we're in different categories. That this, this group uh, gathered today is pretty eclectic. Uh, socioeconomically, we're probably uh, all over the place. Our backgrounds are all over the Our education is all over the place. Uh, some of us grew up in Minnesota. Some grew up in a different state. Some grew up in different countries. Like, uh, we are different in many ways. And though that, that's wonderful, we're still called to unity. And the way that we encourage one another is with the same mind. How do we have the same mind when we have such a diverse background? We engage in Christ. We have Christ's mind. So that whether you grew up in Indiana or you grew up in Minnesota or overseas, when we are embracing Christ's mind. Let me show you one other thing. This passage is not going to be up there, but if you'd turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll look at verses 1 and 2. Because we would, we would think that the mind maybe like, I don't know, that almost seems like secondary. Shouldn't it be like, okay, uh, other things should be occurring first. But Paul focuses on the mind, and he doesn't just do it in Philippians. He also does it here in Romans chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So again, there's this idea that our actions are spiritual. It's about a spiritual transformation, not about a a behavior modification. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is something spiritual about our mind that Paul has locked onto and is reminding the church of and is calling us into, and that that mind is the mind of Christ, not the mind of the flesh. And that collectively, as we go there, we have unity together. But it's a renewal of our mind. Same love. It's not transactional kind of love. Well, you know what? You did this for me, so I'll do this for you. I'll take care of you. That is not a great way to, uh, to be in worship together, to be in fellowship, in that koinonia together. That's not the way that it works. But it's the same love. And then full accord. And, and Paul connects it to the one mind piece. But the full accord is this, that we live in harmony together. That we live in harmony together. Jesus, just again, before he goes to the cross, he has this prayer in John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, in this prayer, he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one, that the world may know that you sent me. So uh, the best evangelism is what Jesus prayed, that we be one. How do we be one? Uh, One accord. Uh, We live in harmony together. I mean, we might sound just a little bit different, but, but we blend together. We sound pretty good together. Uh, we harmonize. So how is Paul encouraged while he's in jail facing a death sentence? He's reminded that we have the same mind, the mind of Christ. He's reminded that we have the same love. He's reminded that we are of one accord. And he calls the church into that continually, continually. And it's our basis as we move forward into this new year. Let's continue on. Let's look at a how-to. There are five things that Paul identifies in this, this how-to. He starts here, do nothing from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. In other words, it's not about what I get out of this. Have you ever been in a situation where someone is trying to convince you of something and you know that you know that you know what they get out of it is way more than what you get out of it? Like, maybe it's even just somebody online trying to sell you something or whatever. Like, you know they're getting something out of it that you are not getting. The value that they get out of your decision is better for them uh, than for you. You recognize that. That is not supposed to be the way of the church. Do nothing out of of selfish ambition. It it can't be about us individually, uh, but about Christ. Uh, looking at others, and he's going to get into that in just a moment. Live in humility. Love this. Live in humility. Uh, we don't get to see a lot of this in our day and age. Like, where, where can you think of where you can easily go and see humility lived out? Like, here is an example of humility. In fact, if you find one, it stands out so profoundly <laughs> that because it's in sharp contrast of Everything else in our culture, humility is not a value that we particularly have. So where do we see it? Well, we see it in Jesus himself. Here's what I'd like you to do in your mind's eye. If you can go there, think of heaven. It's an amazing place. It's identified a few places throughout the scriptures. We, we know that it is just it's incomparable. It's unbelievable. And so whatever that is, just consider that for a moment. And then consider that God dwells there and that it's perfect 
and it's beautiful, and it's, it's everything and more than we could expect. And God left that place to come to this place. And he, he came to a place that didn't even have uh, indoor plumbing, right? Like, it, it, this wasn't the best option in, in the course of the history of the world, but it was the best option. It was the perfect timing. And God comes down in the flesh, and he dwells among us in a time that uh, uh, just reveals ultimate humility uh, of this service, this love, this care for others. And we see it lived out in Jesus, and it's a part of the mind of, the, of Christ that then should be our mind as well. Count others more significant. In other words, we have value for others. Uh, I grew up uh, in, in a time where some of uh, our family members, they would use this term, that person's no good. You ever heard that? That person's no good. Uh, it was a phrase that was used, uh, at least in southern Indiana, where I grew up often. And I remember thinking that, like, we're putting values on people. How do we know if they're good or not good? Like, why am I saying that? But many of us grew up in families where that's common, uh, a devaluing of people. Here, Paul reminds us that we're actually supposed to count others more significant than ourselves, that there is a value in them because they're created in the image of God. And in humility, in following Jesus, we have a responsibility to love them that way. Look towards the interests of others and your own interests. Like, so that starts with uh, not just looking at your own interests, but also the interests of others. So how does this affect other people? Uh, when, I, uh, um, when I cut them off in traffic, or when I don't cut them off in traffic, when I greet them, when I don't greet them, how does it affect others? We're called, for being, or we're called to being conscious of that sort of thing. And then to reemphasize it, once again, Paul reminds us, have the mind of Christ. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. Are we willing to do it? This, this Christian faith is not a passive faith. It doesn't just happen. Like one day we wake up and, oh, man, I am so much like Christ. It's amazing. Nope. Uh, it takes some work. And what Paul is telling us is that that work begins in our mind and embracing this worldview that is Christ's worldview. How does Jesus see this? How does Jesus live this out? And so with that in mind, I want to transition our hearts to communion. The worship team will be coming out in just a moment, and let me remind you a few things that communion is. One of the beautiful things is that it symbolizes the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us that we could have life. But not just that. Uh, it also reminds us that we're in this together. We're participants. We fellowship together in this sacrifice. And we live it out. We're called to participate just before uh, Jesus went to the cross. He instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. Uh, in in uh, establishing that, he calls his people to participate in it. But there are some instructions we're given. Uh, the first is this, that it's for believers. Uh, so for those people, 
who are saying, I am a follower of Jesus, then this is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we love you, uh, but this just isn't for you. It doesn't even make sense without following Jesus. Then we're also called as believers to this. And that is to examine our hearts. So is there any unconfessed sin that needs to be addressed? And to confess it. What I'd like to do, if we could go back to that previous slide. I probably am the one who did that. I apologize. There it is. Uh, What I'd like to do is walk through these questions with you just briefly before we enter into this time of communion. Here's the first one. Do I have the same worldview of Jesus? If not, why? What needs to change? Let me make a suggestion uh, that if we're we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we need to feed our mind. And so we're stuck with asking the question, how are we feeding our minds? So are we feeding our mind with the word, uh, with biblical truths, or are we binging on garbage? Because if we are, we're not renewing our minds. Our minds are not being transformed to be like Christ. Am I saying you can't watch television? No, don't go there. What I am saying is that uh, garbage in, garbage out. If we're going to be transformed, it's with the scriptures. Next, do I live out my worldview like Jesus? If not, why? Uh, What needs to change? One thing I would suggest is discipleship. Discipleship. This, this has been a practice throughout the church to be a disciple and to disciple someone else. And, and it's difficult because in the West, we don't like people being the boss of us, <laughs> telling us what to do. Nobody likes it. Uh, but that's a part of the discipleship. How do I live out this Christ-like life? And if I'm not doing it, who calls us out on it? And who calls us out on it in a loving way that is transformative in nature that causes us to look more and more like Jesus? Who is that? I would suggest discipleship. Uh, Do I live out my worldview like Jesus? If not, why? Now, what needs to change? As you consider that and prepare your hearts for communion, here's how we practice it here. That if you go to the carpeted areas and go to the station that is closest to your section of the uh, of the row you're in, uh, that's helpful. And then return on the outer edge back to your seat. That's how we go. And then uh, at the end of, of uh, a time, we'll sing a song together. At the end of that time, we'll participate together in communion. Now, you can take time ahead and pause and wait and then go. Or you can go and get the elements and go back to your spot and consider uh, what the Lord might have for you as you consider those questions Let me pray for you. Jesus, we do love you and we praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be glorified and honored. And we thank you for the life that you have given us and called us to. And it's not a passive life. And and so, first of all, Lord, I, I would ask that you would forgive us. Because I would suggest that each of us at some point has been guilty of being passive in our faith. Forgive us for those times when we have been. Lord, I I also would ask that you would help us to take on your mind, to see the world like you see the world, to live that out in real time the way that you would have us live it out in real time. 
Help us, Almighty God, that you would be glorified and honored. We thank you for this opportunity to gather, and we ask that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.